0: And I'm Melanie Lennon. Welcome back to another episode of Cobacation, the podcast for students by students that looks at the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on us. Today we'll be talking about our new normal, what life looks like as places start to open their doors again after being closed for a few months. It's crazy to think that everything started closing in March. It doesn't feel like that long ago but at the same time it feels like it's been years since things were normal. It's hard to realize that what's going on right now is our new
1: normal. Only a certain number of people allowed in stores at a time, tables being six feet apart on patios, and even hair salons having to offer personal protective equipment to their stylists
0: and customers. Since things have started to reopen, have you been to a restaurant or the mall? Everyone who knows
1: me knows how much I love sitting on a patio and having a few drinks and dinner, and it's honestly one of my favorite things but I still haven't gone yet. I'm still kind of on the fence about the whole thing. What about you, Mel?
0: Well, this past weekend, I went to the outlet shops in Ajax. I did just go to Garage and Sephora, but it was nice to be able to go into stores and not have to do my shopping online. It felt a lot like the old days.
1: I also know you were talking about getting your hair cut now that salons have opened
0: back up. Have you had any luck booking an appointment? So I've reached out to let them know that I'm definitely interested in getting my hair cut but I'm still waiting to hear back. So hopefully that happens sooner than later. I know you actually just spoke to a new salon owner about the changes they've faced with opening back up.
1: Yeah, so I actually spoke to Charles Stevens, who's the owner of Crown, a boutique hair salon in Oshawa. The salon was actually set to open in April, but because of COVID, it actually just opened its doors for the first time.
0: Wow, I can't imagine not having the grand opening that they planned for. How exactly did the salon prepare to open its doors? Did they have to rearrange their shop to meet the safety guidelines? Charles actually explained to me that before they opened,
1: they had to move their chairs around a bit because at the beginning they were four feet apart and they had to make sure everything was six feet apart instead.
2: So now that we're back at it, we've had to rearrange the salon so everything Normally the chairs tend to be about four feet apart. So we've had to kind of redo the setup, making everything six feet apart. Um, We're only able to book one client at a time. So um, we're having, it's lowered the amount of people coming into the salon by about 40%, which is unfortunate. But then, um, yeah, and then we just have to, it's like a 10 to 15 minute process of sanitizing everything before and after each person and every one of like every comb every clip we've got a bucket of clips like we're not reusing anything uh before it goes through like our rigorous sanitizing program
0: i still can't fully imagine what these stylists are going through having to do all of this between every client it must be making their jobs a little more challenging When it comes to costs at the salon, did Charles say if they've gone up because of the new safety guidelines? Actually, yeah. So because of
1: having to buy personal protective equipment, they're spending more than they're actually earning.
2: But now our costs have gone up quite a bit, having to prepare all the, or provide all the PPE, um, masks, hand sanitizer, all sorts of extra sorts of disinfectant. Um, But also, we're only able to book like half of the amount of people that we're used to. So costs going up and revenues going down. So it's a little extra difficult.
0: So with all of these new rules, is it impacting the customer experience at all?
1: So Charles actually explained that for the most part, a lot of his clients have been really understanding about this new situation.
2: So the customers have to wear masks. If they don't have one, we provide them with one when they come in the door. Uh, There's been only a very small amount of pushback about it. Most people understand, but um, they are obviously they're uncomfortable and they're hot and all that. So it's a little less relaxing. Also certain things have been cut down. Like um, it's been suggested that we remove or we limit like head massages, for example, whereas that tends to be a lot of people's favorite part. Um, and we just have to keep it to the bare minimum. Um, so everything's just a little less comfortable. I
1: gotta say, for myself, when I go to get my hair done, the head massage is my favorite part of it all. So knowing that's limited makes me
0: a little bit sad. I couldn't agree more. That's the most relaxing part. So I know you said Charles's salon is brand new. Did he say what the future of his salon looks like because of the pandemic?
1: So, he said they've had to postpone a few things that they were hoping to do right away when they opened. So, that's having a little bit of an impact on them.
2: Well, we've postponed a few things. We're just like a small boutique salon, um, but we're postponing hiring staff. Um, It's two of us in here now. We have room for more, but because it's a small space, like that's going to be put on the back burner for right now. We have to get back in the swing of it, make sure that once more people come in, you can do it safely and properly. We're not gonna jump the gun on that. Right? Um, so the new guidelines have limited our ability to really grow and like bring in the revenue we need to grow. But, um, but yeah, so it's just gonna, its gonna, everything's gonna take a little bit longer than expected, uh, which is, it's one of those things we're able to like ease back into it
0: wow hearing what he has to say has really made me realize just how much of an impact this shutdown has had on the industry their new normal looks completely different than before and who knows if it will ever go back to the way it was tara thanks so much for sharing this story and giving people a look at what it's really like to be a salon owner at this time
1: So Mel, have you checked your email recently? Because it's official, we've graduated from the Durham College Journalism Mass Media Program.
0: It's a very bittersweet feeling, especially since we never actually got a graduation ceremony and we never got to say goodbye to our profs or each other.
1: Luckily, Tracy was able to have a quick chat with our program coordinator and Professor Brian Legree as well as incoming second year student Julia Sandy about what this journalism program is going to look like in the fall.
3: So I remember my last class was with Dan Williams and we were in photography and he said to us, he was like, make sure you guys get everything that you can get done today done because we don't know the next time that we're gonna be here. And I kind of looked at him like, really? Like, is it actually, like that's actually happening right
4: now? COVID-19 pandemic changed college and university learning overnight. 22-year-old Julia Sandy is from Whitby, Ontario and was a first-year journalism student at Durham College. She had questions when classes were canceled and the college shut down.
3: I was like, oh my goodness, that actually happened. What, where where do we stand now? What's going to happen now? I figured with journalism, there would be a way to make things flow because you can do things remotely like how we're doing right now. There is a possibility for
4: it. Sandy says she has never had second thoughts about going back to school this fall and has a very positive outlook on her second year. She knows it's going to be a very different learning environment from the one she imagined, but she is positive about September. The support and communication from the journalism faculty has helped a lot.
3: I feel like our professors kind of, they go above and beyond. I mean, we got the email saying things were going to go online. And I have friends who are in other programs as well. So this is where it kind of really enlightens me. Danielle, four days later, sends out an email. We're having a Q&A on Friday for anyone who has questions, who, for anyone who's worried about anything. I have friends who haven't heard anything. So I'm so grateful for the support and for the communication from them because without that i definitely don't think that it would be a gap year would sound probably a lot better
4: she says things will be different but knows her optimism will get her through her new normal
3: time management was a whole new thing i was like okay i'm not i'm not waking up because i have to go to school but i'm waking up because i have to like go to school virtually. I feel like that's what I have to try to do is just look at the positives, whether they're small, whether they're big, just take those and make that the highlight of, you know, what's going on, because you can't change it, but you can change your perspective of it, right? So I think that's really important.
4: Brian Legree is the program coordinator for the journalism program at Durham College. He says, Teaching has always been a personal affair for him. He enjoys the face-to-face teaching mentoring process and the social aspect of the newsroom. He does not feel these aspects will be diminished, but says there will be an initial adjustment, getting comfortable with his students virtually.
5: There will have to be, I think... um some time invested early on in order to build the relationships that I was accustomed to having with students. And that always took some time because when I, you know, obviously when you first meet someone, you've got to take some time to get to know them. So we'll have to do it on a platform like this to see what their aspirations are, what they'd like to achieve in the business, you know, that kind of stuff, and get to know them as, as people. And uh, uh, so that, that'll be similar, but different, you know, for, for obvious reasons.
4: Lagrée says, Journalism faculty will encourage and support students through their virtually converted curriculum.
5: The things that will be a little different uh, tangibly are things like we encourage students to do what we call, as you're familiar with, boots to the ground and get out there and interview people and connect with people. We We are hopeful that they will still be able to do that in some circumstances, however, we obviously want to ensure that everyone is safe and comfortable in that environment so that the, there will be social distancing if that happens. But we think that that will be... Also, we can't, you know, we're not going to mandate anyone to do that, but we're hopeful that some people will want to uh, enhance their skills by still, where possible, doing face-to-face interviews, um, respecting social distancing, of course.
4: Both Sandy and LaGree agree this is nothing new for the field of journalism. There have been worse times in history where journalists have had to adjust to change.
5: Journalism has a long history of uh, meeting challenges head on. I think it was '03 when the great power outage hit North America for several days. I recall putting newspapers together by using uh, car batteries to charge computers and then sending the newspaper to a printing press where power actually still existed, and then getting it printed there and transported back for delivery to customers. So uh, we, we certainly are adaptable uh, human beings, and in journalism, we might be more adaptable than some, or most.
4: In Whitby, Ontario, I'm Tracy Bowers-Lee.
0: Tara. Are you still crying or are you good to move on? Um, I'm actually still crying, but let's keep the show going.
1: So Mel, did you have any travel plans for the summer that got canceled because of COVID?
0: Actually, yes. My family usually goes to Quebec during the summer, but that looks like it's not going to happen. What about you? Actually, yeah, I was supposed to be in Newfoundland right now
1: visiting my best friends, but it seems like that might have to wait till next year.
0: Speaking of travel, Fiona actually caught up with her aunt. Anne Gorman-Broughton, who lives near Manchester, England, and is a regional HR manager. For her job, Anne usually travels to many countries around Europe. In fact, she estimates 50% of her
6: work involves traveling. Now, all that has changed. Many jobs have been affected by the pandemic, and that means new work strategies and protocols are being implemented in many businesses. Now, someone who came to mind right away when thinking of these changes with my aunt Anne Gorman Broughton. I start recording, um, if that's
7: okay. <laughs> yeah, that's fine, that's fine.
6: She lives in Cheshire, England, and is a regional manager for an HR company.
7: I am the de facto HR director for the region of EMEA, which is Europe and Middle East and Africa. And I also have responsibility for half of our businesses in the APAC region, which constitutes Australia, Japan, China, Thailand, and Malaysia. This means she travels
6: a lot. I asked her to estimate how much of her job is done out of the
7: office. A lot of my work is reactionary, so I get a call and I've got to be at a particular country because something has happened, uh, or or it's, or is I do have planned meetings as well. So I would say a good... of my time but it could be higher some months and lower other months but I could be on a plane sometimes I travel within the UK in a car um, but most of the time I'll be on a plane off to another country.
6: When COVID-19 hit Europe it was clear she could not travel anymore.
7: We said look you just work from home we 've restricted travel even to this day. international travel is banned within my my global group they don 't want anybody traveling internationally right now um, and If you did have to we, and we only just decided this uh, last week, we had to get a, we have to get a senior vice president in New York to agree to the travel and and a couple of times they 've denied it from what I understand.
6: Well, Anne has been able to join meetings and talk to clients using Microsoft teams some things still cannot be done remotely.
7: Now, there's certain things, certain conversations that I do that are always better face-to-face. So, for instance, I've got a disciplinary. I've got a gentleman who, who did he's, he runs a site, uh, a steel mill site for us, and he did a very, very, very crazy thing health and safety-wise that could have killed himself and others, and they want me to deal with him. So I, so we're trying to make a plan now be, for me to, to go and we can, I can have the disciplinary meeting with him at a distance, mm. but it's finding a, it's finding a venue that we're able to do that at. Um, so we're just working through how that will work now and tomorrow we'll, we'll come up with a plan, uh, but it will happen this week. So it'll be my first travel but it'll be within the UK. I'm not, yeah. uh, I wouldn't be traveling abroad. It would have to be a pretty big emergency for them to drag me out.
6: Anne points out that one thing her business cannot do right now is predict its sales for this quarter. Any vision for the future of sales is now gone. For her personally though, she's confident she can do most of what she needs to
7: do from home. A lot of what I do I can do over the phone, I can do on email, or I can have a Skype call, or uh, a, a, a Adobe conference call, or a Skype video call. And, and I can accomplish the same thing, really. Anne predicts that it will be at least
6: six months until she can travel abroad again, if not longer. In Whitby, I'm Fiona Campbell.
1: So now with most of Ontario in Phase 2 of reopening, many people, such as Nick Gauss, are returning to work for the first time in months. His employer has been open since the start of May, so he's already been at work for just over a month
0: now. He works on an assembly line at Lear in Ajax, Ontario, where he puts the lining on car seats. Nick spoke with Ryan about the protocols his company has put in place to keep the workers safe and how he has adjusted to the new normal of working during a pandemic.
8: On any work day before COVID-19, Nick Gauss simply showed up, parked his car, punched in and started working. Now, just to get into work, it is a change.
9: When you first walk into the building, they have a, a big like plexiglass screen with a hole cut out where the camera goes through. So they're protected. And then uh, it's like an infrared camera. And if your body temperature, I think it's like above 37, if you're any hotter than 37. They take you into the medical room, and they test you again
8: with a more precise thermometer. The safety measures don't stop there. Even the shifts themselves have been split.
9: So there's two different shifts. So in between the shifts before COVID, there was about 10 minutes of like free time where there was no, technically no one working. Um, they extended that to half an hour. So that they're able to go and clean any like punch in clocks or any machines that you use a sensor for your fingers or anything like that. They, they have more time to wipe it down in between shifts
8: now. Then comes his lunch break, where even more safety protocols are in place.
9: It's basically like a picnic table setup, but they put plexiglass in between like where people sit. So you're almost in like an invisible cubicle kind of thing.
8: Ghost is given a new mask at the start of every shift and has to wear it the entire time, which he is not a big fan of.
9: The biggest problem I have lately is like with the heat, like because it's summer. When it gets hot and humid, like having that mask on, like it's, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough to breathe. Like it gets hot and heavy in there.
8: Now that Ghost is on his fifth week back on the job, he's becoming a little bit more comfortable going into work.
9: The first week was like awful. Like anxiety through the roof like for the whole shift like I was worrying at almost after every seat I was putting hand sanitizer on like I just I didn't know like we still don't fully understand it but like back a few weeks ago even it was still even more so less understood so it's like what the hell but yeah now it's more like I got my routine down I got my like what I touch how I sanitize it like, everything has kind of figured itself out now. So, yeah, it, it is a little more normal.
8: The only issue he has with it becoming more normal is that he sometimes forgets about distancing himself from others and touching their things.
9: They'd be like, you toss me my water bottle, I'm going to get some water because they're already on their way, but they forgot. And it's just kind of like, like, I did it. I didn't even think about it. I grabbed it and threw it to them, and I was like, oh, <laughs> probably shouldn't have done that.
8: All things that come with this new normal that we are living in. In Oshawa, Ontario, I'm Ryan Hahn.
1: So Mel, how are you dealing with the fact that you don't get to see Harry Styles until September 2021? If I talk
0: about it too much, I'll end up crying. I feel like we're all a little bit upset about our favourite things being cancelled.
1: Well the cancellation of the OHL season was pretty hard for our colleague Brandon. Even though that decision came down in March, the
0: repercussions are still following into June. Jessica Corbett was the manager of game presentation, media relations and digital content for the Oshawa Generals but as of June 13th she is without work. Brandon caught up with his former boss to talk about what her next steps look like in her new normal.
10: A team's goal horn is part of its identity. Whether it's the Sirens in Washington, the Foghorn in Anaheim, or the Cannon in Columbus, when you hear the horn, you think of the team. This also goes for Jessica Corbett. For me, at least, when I think of the Austria Generals, now I think of her. Corbett wore three hats for the Generals. Manager of Game Presentation, which is everything the fans in-house hear and see. Manager of Media Relations, the point of contact for all media, and the manager of digital content, everything the fans at home see on the team's social media accounts. But much like the OHL season, Corbett's role, it's gone dark. Along with the entire business operations staff, she was temporarily laid off two weeks ago. For Corbett, she knew it was only a matter of time.
11: Honestly, I was kind of shocked but at the same time not just because of the way the sports landscape is right now um, there there is no direction from the league right now on when a season could possibly start Um, I know they're working towards it and they really want next season to happen but there's just no indication right now so until something more concrete comes down at a higher level for us to know what's going on I understand the decision and I know um, it's what has to be done. It's junior hockey. We rely on, on you know, our corporate sponsors and fans for, for revenue. So when that's completely taken away, um, there's, only, there's only so much you can do.
10: During my conversation with Corbett, she told me how hard it was to think that she may not work in sports in a post-COVID world. She says right now she is so lucky in her position that she got real behind-the-scenes player interactions That many people don't see and she loved it.
11: Definitely that I would say is like one of my favorite things is you know getting to know the guys and you know having that relationship where it's it's still a working relationship but you still are able to have fun and get that personal level with them.
10: There's one more thing that's changed for her since the season was cancelled. I worked for Corbett this past year so I got to see how often she was in her office. We would often joke that she should just pull in a couch and sleep there overnight. Well, now because of the layoff, she's back home in Owen Sound spending time with people outside of her everyday office.
11: I can't thank my parents enough. Like I'm an only child, so I'm pretty lucky with both my parents um being able to support me and they've fully said like, you know, like if you need to move home, like we're here for you, like you can do that. We'll we'll help you and like they have been huge supporters of giving me their honest opinion and what they think I, I should and shouldn't be doing. And it's kind of like weirdly, like not like a midlife crisis, I guess like a quarter life crisis.
10: Corbett has one goal moving forward, regardless of whatever her quote unquote new normal will look like.
11: You know, building my resume personally and myself personally to be more marketable that right now the job market isn't great. So that when it maybe turns around and comes back, you know, I've used this time to build some... Skills are in a hireable position and more likely to, you know, succeed somewhere um, that maybe I, I didn't have the skills to before. So that's been kind of my goals in this. Sometimes some days aren't as dedicated as others, but uh, it's been, um, you know, challenging to stay focused, especially at home, but really try my best to do stuff like that.
10: I know Corbett and I both hope it isn't too long before we hear this. Little piece of normal once again. In Oshawa, Ontario, I'm Brandon Wright.
0: Trying to come to terms with this new normal can be quite stressful. We've gotten so used to isolation that the idea of socializing or going back to work seems scary. I mean, for us, when we finish this podcast next week, we're all going
1: to be unemployed. Although this wasn't a traditional job, it was still full-time work for us, and we aren't sure what our next steps are gonna be. This week, Melanie shares her thoughts on what this new normal may bring and how we can cope with the uneasiness that
0: follows. What was normal? What did it look like? How did it sound? How did it feel? For some, it might've been the warm embrace of a friend, or the sound of loud chatter and laughs echoing throughout a busy restaurant. Maybe it was stopping by the grocery store on the way home from work because you just remembered you're out of eggs. Or it was buying concert tickets for that show next month and looking at the seating map to see where you'll be standing in the crowded venue. Normal was a lot of things, but all of that is different now. Instead, we're facing a new normal, one that seems quite foreign at the moment. Physical distancing, masks, and increased cleaning is now a huge part of our lives. With all of the changes we're currently facing because of COVID-19, how do we adapt? For me personally, i felt a lot of fear and guilt during this time, especially while Ontario works on stage two of its reopening process. As the patios start opening, and the number of people allowed in a social gathering begins to grow, I still feel very apprehensive. I think it's fair to assume I'm not the only one. After seeing a few friends for the first time in three months, it almost felt as if nothing had changed. In the moment, things felt very normal, like the old kind of normal. But then I remember the state of the world and the precautions in place and the experience no longer feels as enjoyable. Just the other day, I went for a walk in the sunshine by the lake. As a warm breeze blew through the trees, birds chirped, and people's voices filled the air, I nearly forgot about the pandemic. It just felt like summer. I think that's why getting used to this new normal is so difficult for so many of us. We want things to go back to the way they were so badly that part of us refuses to embrace these current changes. Unfortunately, things won't go back to the way they were. Not anytime soon, anyway. And in the meantime, I think it's important for us to find some sort of normalcy in our daily lives. So, go get that haircut you've been putting off. Get a drink at the patio restaurant in town. Go for a walk by the lake you're allowed to feel some familiarity during these times because that may be the only way to get through them. I understand it's a hard thing to achieve, as a lot of us may feel like we have to ask for permission to be normal again, but we have to start somewhere.
1: Next week is our final episode. We're going to be reflecting on what we've learned through this podcast and also giving you a behind-the-scenes look at what it's
0: like putting every episode together. But until then, that's all for this week's episode of Covication. Thank you so much for joining us. This week,
1: we're going to be leaving you with a song by Denise Belfon and Ricky T. During the
0: pandemic, they've been spending time with their families. Since all Caribbean festivals and concerts have been canceled, they've been working on new music and entertaining their fans with virtual events. Here is their song, ha ha ha. <laughs>
4: Punishing and make it burn up yeah. Burn up Saucy baby Burn up You way this girl just whine for me uh. I go let you make it hot for me uh. You way you, you whine and get you mad 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 Ha yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Make the bump at you. Make a girl run out of let Take a wine, bust a sweat Fog away, me go a war of huh. You feel your body? Take a step huh. Be but move the target I go bend up your back and twist up your